Shio Nagad. Hello, everyone. Welcome to the Origin Story Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Owl. Once a month, I ask an artist I respect to introduce me to a piece of work or an artist they love. This month, Stan Merritt introduced me to Roger Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October. Before we get into the episode, this is our recap episode with a special guest named Matt Hirsch. I want to let you know that November's podcast will feature Will Haraway of the Sundogs introducing me to the band His Golden Messenger. So by all means, head to wherever you get your music, give a few listens to both bands, and then join us for the conversation at the end of the month. Right now, though, please enjoy Stan, Matt, and I as we recap our experience of reading Roger Zelazny's A Night in the Lonesome October. All right, hey, we're back on the Origin Story podcast, and we have a guest with A Night in the Lonesome October, Mr. Matt Hirsch Esquire. How are you, sir? I'm good. I'm great. Uh, you also, as I understand it, have been reading uh, A Night in the Lonesome October this month. Uh, I want to know all about your experience, but I also want to know just, uh, did you do it a chapter a day or did you read in chunks? I read it in chunks. I'm just curious about that. Cool. All right. Well, you just, how did you like it? What was it like? Well, first of all, let me just say that, again, Stan has tried to get me to read this for uh, several years now. <laughs> yeah. And uh, Has he really? Yeah. Um, I think that the first time he mentioned it, or it must have been like at least five years ago, and and he said uh, you got to read this. I said, "Oh, sounds amazing! It's the kind of shit I like to read." And then I would he would uh, say, "Have you read it?" I was like, "No, I didn't read it this year. I'm gonna read it." And I hadn't bought the book yet. So um, <laughs> finally, about two years ago, I bought the book. Still didn't read it, and. Um, I don't know what made me, I guess because you guys decided you were going to do this podcast. It was, it was really what uh, inspired me to do it. And um, I needed something to read before uh, my birthday book that I bought myself uh, gets here tomorrow. Um, It's part of the Zoe series um, from, uh, we'll talk about that later. Anyway, this book was so good and I feel bad for not reading. (laughs) (laughs) By the way, he does speak the truth. Um, I, I've been on his ass for five years at least. At least. And boy, he came up with some goofy excuses. <laughs> yeah. I can't find this in the proper digital format. And I'm going, dude, get on Amazon, order a real book. Right. Come Just on. read the damn book. <laughs> so at first, I wanted like a PDF copy of it. Like that's how, like that's what I was looking for online. And I just didn't find it. And so I know. <laughs> that's what it was. Yeah. <laughs> Okay. That's that is amazing. Uh, so I, this is we're just going to go all across the board here. Things uh, I'm curious. Uh, I just want to ask some general questions that I want y'all to respond and ask. Do the same with me. Uh, when when did you fall in love with it? It sounded like you fell in love. When did it really hit you? Chapter twenty. I, I loved chapter twenty. Okay, I loved all of it. But um, on on day twenty the book became something really special. And, and uh, I don't really, I didn't really know that until chapter 23, until day 23, when um, Greymock took uh, snuff into the dream world. And I started that chapter and they got sucked into the rock. And um, I didn't it was, I didn't feel like I was reading as a, a Lazny novel. I, this is the first 
Salazny novel that I've read. I'm going to read some more because uh, this one's so good. But I started feeling like I was reading a Neil Gaiman book, big Neil Gaiman fan. So it sounded so much like American Gods and Neverwhere and all of the way that he describes and also um, uh, the uh, Sandman. So he describes all of that in almost the exact same way. And I thought I was reading a Neil Gaiman book. Um, and so I looked it up. I, I, I Googled Gaiman Zelazny. And sure enough, it turns out that Zelazny, Gaiman's on record as saying he uh, was his biggest influence as a writer. Oh, that's very cool. I'm a huge Neil Gaiman fan as well. And honestly, I did not have that feeling. And I, I feel like I uh, didn't have my doors of perception open to that. And I should have. You know, you know, the, you know, you know, the, the common the, the glue here that we're experiencing in light of the dream world, dreamland sequences, sequences talking about is I hate to be that guy again, but I guess I'm that guy. But uh, Neil and uh, Roger were both uh, unbelievably fond of H.P. Lovecraft and cited him as a tremendous influence. Both of them. No, no. Exactly. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I have been listening to the podcast and I did know who uh, Talbot was. You did. Cool. You get that reference, I did, completely went over I my did. head. That's awesome. Yeah, when 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 Talbot came in, I was like, "The Wolfman." The- <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and I was just like, "What a weird name for somebody British." And then you know, it was it was so completely obvious after that. Uh, with well, with regard to him, but it was it was obvious. But um, you know, I, I all those characters. The other thing that I really loved about the book was this noir um, detective story that it was um, because I'm, I, I love that genre. I love that stuff. Like, like um, what's his name? Uh, the, um, the old thirties and forties detectives guys. And I love all that. Sam Spade, Marlowe, yeah. those, those fellows. Oh, yeah. And, and I just kept looking at snuff, like, you know, like a Marlowe character run, run around. And Bubo is my favorite character of the book. <laughs> really? <laughs> nice. Uh, tell me what you loved about Bubo. Well, there's always that one character in these noir detective stories that is sort of like the, you know, Mundungus Fletcher from, you know, from Harry Potter, that, that type of guy that, you know, he's a, he's a tramp. Right. He's just a, um, you know, if Fletcher and and Harry Potter was a good guy, he would be Bubo because, you know, there's always that one character in those stories that is outside of of the the main, you know, the 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 main thing that they're doing, the main uh, 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 mystery that they're trying to solve. And. They always ingratiate themselves into it. And so that's what Bubo did. You know what I mean? Like we didn't know until like the last two chapters, you know, that Bubo was like, Hey man, I'm not a part of this. I never was. I just started listening to it all. And he was so smart that, you know, and he's wily and he just can, uh, you know, he just sort of like snuck in uh, everywhere to find out all this stuff. And he made everybody think that he was a player. 
but he wasn't a player, not until the very end. And Snuff was the one that was like, "Hey, man, you're a player now. You're you're in it." And uh, mm-hmm. the what I love so another thing that I love so much was that he didn't know. Like all of a sudden, no one told him to switch the wands. <laughs> he just did it on his own. And if he hadn't done that, we'd be, you know, the world would have ended. <laughs> you're absolutely right that character is that is a common archetype in the characters and i didn't put it together he's kind of like the i mean i don't want you um i'm trying to avoid saying um a beta but like you know just kind of he's on the fringe a little bit he wants to suck up to the great detective or that kind of figure you know he wants to be involved in it and he kind of weasels his way and he's smart and he's smart and he's smart I mean, and he, he can do it and you're right it was such a and i love that he he says he did it and like, you know, so that after y'all, after they disposed of you, that they would still like lose the day. Yeah. You know, so like even had like a realistic kind of view. It's just it. really, really resourceful, you know, and the old cat knew that he was going to do that because he told Snuff, what, what did he say? Grab the want, grab the stick or something. Yeah, and, exactly. And, uh, you know, Snuff was like, the stick. Then we win, you know. Good. Yeah, good. that's that's Stan. What about you? Other than like Snuff and Jack, did you have a favorite character? Yeah, you know, I was going to say something about Matt's affinity for Bubo. I think that's really yeah, do that. Cool. That's really super cool. I mean, and I see what he's talking about now, and I he is sort of a lovable, resourceful rag scamp, and, and you know, the uh, one of the biggest compliments I've learned that you can pay play pay to like an old lawyer who's been around for a long time is to call him an old rat in the barn, which means he's one of those rats who's wily enough to have survived for all these years. And, you know, he's the kind of the king of the barn. So that, that made me think of Bubo when Matt was uh, discussing uh, what appealed to him. He pops out of that um, pocket and snuffs like, Bubo, what the fuck are you doing? It was <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no, right? like, I just wanted to see if what I did worked. And he's like, what did you do? <laughs> I've not heard that expression, old rat in the barn, but I like yeah. it. Yeah, that's a, yeah anyway. Uh, <clears throat> but yeah, so you were asking me what, um, just, were you asking me about favorite characters? Yeah. I mean, it, I would say besides Jack and Snuff, but maybe maybe Jack and Snuff are not your favorite characters. So who are you really happy when you saw their name on, on the page? Coming back. Um, I love Jack and Snuff. I do. Um, yeah. um, I think Greymawks were my favorite characters. Um <laughs> Insofar as non-animals go, um, I like the Count just because he's the Count. <laughs> and um, I, uh, you know, I just love the, uh, I liked all the male heroes in this thing too. And I love, I just kind of like them all. I don't know. This is a terrible answer because I'm trying to think, I can find something appealing about every one of them except for the Vicar. And I don't have any, uh, can't find anything redeeming about him. But uh, now, yeah, I kind of, yeah, the- I kind of wish we knew the Vicar was such a badass kind of, I wish we had a little more hints of the Vicar's badassery uh, leading up to it. I mean, I didn't really take him too seriously, even with a crossbow and even killing things. Well, my, uh, but that may be on the Vicar was that he's, he has lost for thousands of years, <laughs> right? He, he loses every time and he knows that he, and he almost knows that he's going to lose in some form or fashion. And this, this particular time he tried to do everything that he could to make his side, give him, give him the, you know, the edge. And he didn't account for Bubo. 
I mean, he just, he didn't know Bubo was going to be involved. He had no idea that there was even a rat in the game, you know, that snuck in to, you know, just be around people because he was lonely. I mean, you know, the Vicar had no way of being able to calculate Bubo's influence. And that is why he lost again for the like, you know, hundred thousandth time or however many times they've done this. Which brings up an interesting uh, thought line of thought that Michael, you and I have been discussing earlier, but you see, in, it seems to me that in Matt's view, these are characters are indeed recurring throughout these bad, you know, you, we were talking about that, right? It's, it's exactly. A deeper meaning here. These characters just, human manifestations of a spirit that's, you know, that's, you know, like the, like the Maiar and in, in Lord of the Rings, whatever. I want to know who they um, were. I want to know who Snuff was. I want to know who, because he clearly wasn't a dog. I mean, he's, these, these characters are like spirits inhabiting these, um, th- these, uh, uh, avatars, you know, like, um, clearly Snuff's been doing this for hundreds or maybe even thousands of years. They, he knows what the game is. He's been doing it. He's the one that calculates everything. I, I wish I knew who Jack was. You know what I mean? Like, I know he's supposed to be Jack the Ripper, but I, I don't – all of these characters have this, you know, this Lovecraftian sort of spirit in all of them, closer, opener, and they've been doing it. They've been fighting each other for thousands of years. What I don't – what I didn't understand too much was – how the new players got involved. Like that's sort of how I, what I wanted to know. Um, Gray Mock hadn't been doing it very long, you know, obviously. Right. Um, so where, what, like who, why, why, why? Are- yeah. How did Jill, how did Jill get the call? Yeah, how did, you know, as how did like, I'm, cause the, I'm curious about that. Yeah, I want to follow up on what you were saying with the Jack and who was it. This is certainly not definitive, but I like how they 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 talk about this as lore. Like, you know, and the rumors said that he might have been. You know, he was there with he was Cain, possibly. You know, in the Bible, like it's that far back. You know, maybe again, there's that's oh, yeah. that's part of the little, yeah, that, little paragraph of lore. But I love that little paragraph of lore and stuff like that. Yeah, that oh, was yeah. in the later paragraph, later chapters, I think. If I yeah, yeah, it was. Um. Uh, I, so I'm with you on that. I want to know what happens when they go into the portal with the vicar. You know, I wonder. I want to know if uh, Larry's like, yeah. I don't know what happened to them in the the dream realm or whatever the kind of they went to if they were when they were sucked in. Uh, I do also want to know what stuff was doing because I think early in the beginning he's like, I wasn't always a watchdog, but I, he's like, I like this job better. Yeah. So yeah, I wonder what. He and did. I love how the. Cheater and Needle, when when they left the game, they just wanted to be their natural, normal animal selves. And and uh, who was it? Cheater that that his shadow was taken from him. Yeah. All mm-hmm. right. So yeah. so to me that was uh, that was great because um, it, Cheater almost was forced into his little, into his like servitude or something like the, you know, the, the shadow was nailed to the wall and without his shadow, he couldn't be a squirrel. He was this thing that he was this familiar for, for, uh, um, who was it? Ross. It wasn't Rostov. Was it cheaters? 
Uh, Cheater was um, who, who? Owen. It was Owen, right. It was Owen. So I felt really bad for Cheater when Owen died. I think that he really – I think he – he liked Owen, but he also had some little hint of resentment for taking him out of the life that he really, really enjoyed. And, uh, you know, Needle, when he left, he left for a different reason. He was, you know, I just want to be a... No, who was the snake? The snake was... Uh, quick quick Lime. Quick, quick Lime goes off into the woods and he's he's like, <laughs> you know, he felt bad too, but he was like, you know what, I'm out. I, I'm just... Yeah. But the cheater was like, I am not disappointed. I'm going out into the woods. And when they gave him his his uh, his his shadow back, he was so happy. You know what I mean? Like he was yeah. just so happy to be back playing himself again. And so that got me thinking, like, who who are these spirits? Like somebody sucked a spirit out of the ether and threw it into to cheater. And, and the way to do that was to remove his shadow from him. So it just was like a, you know, a very exploitative type of thing. And I was glad to see him go out back into the, into the woods. Yeah. Even though like the ritual getting his shadow back kind of, I, I, I kind of tuned out for a little bit of that. Uh, but uh, the fact that they were getting the shadow back and there was a ritual oh, man, I liked. You, I just didn't, kinda... you didn't like snuff trying to get those nails out with his teeth. I, thought that was... <laughs> I did the first you know, three times he did it. The the last two, uh, you know, I might have zoned out. Uh, on. Yeah. <laughs> and, and me too. And I, I gotta say, I I hope that all of my doors are paw openable. Um, <laughs> I love. That. I, I, I I I marked that line. I marked up the book. I I pulled a Panos for the first time ever. I've always thought. No worries. Yeah, I've always thought that besmirching books is just a bad thing to do. I had to do it for this one though because I had to. <laughs> That's cool. It calls for it in a way. It did. So you can get, get a nice uh, collectible. You can get a nice collectible copy of it to put on your bookshelf. Right, right, right. You just mutilate the other one. So there we go. Did anybody else, uh, when they heard Elder Gods? Obviously, we were thinking of Lovecraft gods too. But anybody, have y'all seen Cabin in the Woods? Yeah. Uh, so, Merritt, have you seen this? Cabin in the Woods. I don't believe I have. Oh, uh, so uh, I'm going to return the favor and tell you you have to watch this and you have I to will. watch it pretty soon. Yeah, I will. Uh, and I just actually I won't spoil any more of it other than to say uh, Elder Gods may be involved. <laughs> okay. Um, but yeah. it's uh, it's a horror movie, but it's a horror movie with uh, in the same way Vena's scream a little bit and that it knows the tropes, plays on them, talks about it's them. It's horror. Cool. Kind of thing. Um, but it's a fantastic uh, book and, it's, and I, I mean movie and you will love it. Yeah, it sounds it's Lovecraft it qualifies as Lovecraftian. So. It does indeed. It does yeah. indeed. Cool, man. Uh, Thank you for the tip. I will w- watch that post haste. So that's what I was thinking of when we had these uh, the portal a little bit and some of the tentacles coming out and talking about the elder gods taking over and because uh, mm-hmm. I'm sure it would not be a very pleasant thing for us. No, no, you know it's never really discussed. But I mean, you can, yeah. Well, it's, it's not, it's not bad, it's as bad as it gets. Yeah. He wonders for a little bit. I mean, at least there's at least a line or two of, uh, you know, like, what would it be like if the Elder Guards were in control? You know, mm-hmm. um, but I, I can't imagine it would have been good. For yeah. Everybody. Yeah. He goes to that. You're right. He goes through a whole inner dialogue about. Uh, yeah, exactly. Yeah, um, maybe we should let him win what, just once. Right. 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 But he also yeah, he knows can... that nothing would be left. So right. Right. <laughs> they have to win every time. And they do. 
Um, and then it just rolls back around. Yeah. Uh, were, were y'all of the opinion that we got a description of the interval between these events uh, within the text somehow? What do you mean? How, how much time passes between each of these uh, ceremonies? Did, did well, it said like a, a full moon on October 31st. So I figure like we can break up the farmer's almanac and figure that out. But like yeah, not that often, I would think, yeah, right? Yeah, not that often. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, that's it. I, I'm, just, I'm thinking out loud. I'm sorry. Yeah, that's right. I would actually like to do that. <laughs> that would be cool. I just uh, had that same thought because we're like, um, you know, again, we were talking about how long, how long has Snuff and Jack been doing this? Right, right. How often? And what do they do when they're not doing this? Right. <laughs> I'm curious that as well. Yeah, exactly. So we'll put someone di- diligent and vigilant like Matt Hirsch on this, and we'll have the timing all figured out before. That's right. But that is right, right? I'm not making that this up. Right? Yeah, yeah. 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 Halloween, Halloween like full moon pictures. Yeah. A full moon occurring on Halloween only happens every 18 to 19 years. Okay, there you go. All right. The last time a full moon happened on Halloween night was 2020. Huh? That's cool. Yeah, right. We just had a full moon a couple of days ago, right? Huh? <laughs> right, the portal is open. Exactly. <laughs> but uh, that's pretty cool. So to think that this happens every 18 to 19 years, it's mm. been happening for thousands of years. To me, that's pretty cool. I think Matt, you were just waiting to read the book till it lined up, but then you forgot, and then so now, 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 now you're doing it. That's right. That's right. That's why the book in 2020 potentially. <laughs> That's yeah. right. You you felt the urge. You were called. <laughs> it's indefensible what you did, Matt. Well, with this not reading of the book, I, I've I've made up for it because you have you have yeah you're all good, man. All is forgotten. Forgiven. So we definitely uh, we yeah, all for- like I, I'll definitely. I'll definitely be there every year now. It's cool. Yeah, I kind of think I will too. I just enjoyed, I, I generally read first thing in the morning, uh, kind of have some coffee, kind of was planning the day and would take, you know, honestly, like two minutes at the, in the beginning. It just kind of, I don't know. It just kind of helped put me in the right frame of mind for the I day. I read it in chunks. Being because, present for October. Yeah, I read it in chunks because it, um, it was just that good. Like the, first of all, the chapters, in the beginning, they were so short that uh, it was really hard not to just keep moving on, you know, for a couple of days. And then I would let it sit. I would let it sit for two or three or four days, two or three days. And then I would read another big chunk of it. So that's kind of how I did it. Yeah. Stan, remind me, I think we covered this in the first episode, but I've forgotten. Uh, how did you find this book? Oh, yeah. So um, it was a, we did cover it, but it was, it was a, Search for H.P. Lovecraft pastiche fiction or kind of anything that was ancillary to the Lovecraft universe, and um, this uh, this this popped up, and so I was I saw the format and I was like, being the October geek that I am, like both of y'all are to an extent, and I was like, dude, that's something I would totally do. I don't even know if it's going to be good or not, but I'm going to try it, and then that was that. It really was the the idea of that as an October ritual that really struck me uh, because there's lots of Lovecraft pastiche fiction out there. And some of it's just utterly horrible, but that the format's what hooked me, man. And, uh, and that's, so I found it that way, but I, I, I quickly grew to love it independently of that tremendously. 
When did you realize it was like a thing that there are people that do it and read it like this, like every year? I, you know, I, I, since you were mentioning that when we first started this whole thing, I got online and look, and you're right. There's, <laughs> I, I thought I was, this was kind of uh, a, a, an arcane esoteric thing uh, for, for idiots who do this kind of thing, but um, I'm kidding there. I'm self-deprecating. But, <laughs> Yeah, no, I didn't. Um, I, I thought that there might. I want. I want to say, and y'all can roll your eyes. I want to say I came up with the idea on my own. It was subsequently com- confirmed as a viable way to to go through the book. But oh no, I totally, yeah, totally believe you came up with it on your own. Like, I don't. I, I don't mean, know if I did. I want to say I did. Um, but I mean, it lends. I mean, it'd be weird. It'd be. You know, it, it it would almost be weird to read it another way. You know, you're just yeah. I know, you know. I did. You you just I am. I I know I did because it yeah. was okay. I remember that because I remember I read it aloud uh, a couple of times to my little niece and yeah. No, I did. Yeah, it was yeah. Anyway, that's a fun idea. Yeah, yeah. It's bedtime. It's like a, a a cute. It's a great bedtime story. Just to sit and read right. kid, like to sit around, you know, sitting in a big chair with kids on the you know just reading it to. It's just totally that kind of. <laughs> it's not that scary, but it has some, yeah. you know, uh, some intense moments. Uh, yeah, you know, and it's got some was- themes to it that uh, it's great. It's just a good. Yeah. So tell me, tell list. Tell me about a couple of uh, scenes that you loved. Uh, both of you like what were there you know, obviously we liked the whole book we you know granted that but what um any special scenes that stick out with you in your memory now or like being like oh i think yeah. the scenes for me have more to do with the writing than anything else like not not so much the actual storyline story. but um you know paul openable is a great line when they were going into the vicar's house um and all openable. Yeah. And he, he was like, he told gray Mog, he was like, um, hang on a minute. I want to try something that, that, that Talbot showed me. And, and, and he's like, he just tried to open up that door and, it, and he got it. And he was like, Holy shit. I got it. <laughs> and then when he got in there, he was like, I pushed the door almost closed. It needed to be paw openable, uh, quickly for our exit. Right. Right. Like this was paw openable, but it wasn't that quick. So I needed to make it on our way out. And right. I loved I'll tell you a scene that I loved. I, it was at the beginning. I loved it when Snuff saved uh got Greymock out of the well. And yeah. How come? What was so great about it? What I thought was great about that was because that it set the tone for their friendship throughout the entire book. And um, because he didn't have to do that. And at that point, you really didn't know what their relationship was like. Not not really. Um, They were friendly to one another. You didn't really know what the book was about. Um, But then when he brought her up out of the well and um, you knew from that point on that they were going to be, you know, side by side telling the story throughout the whole book. So I thought that was I love that. Um, Yeah. You know, I got this sort of uh, fox and hound thing, you know, oh, yeah. in my head. Uh, you know, unlikely friends type of thing. Yep, that's it. That's it. And, and yep. uh, it, I got that feeling. That was really cool. Yep. Uh, 
there was, you know, certainly the dream sequence is, is some of my favorite writing. Like I said, I just felt like I jumped into a Neil Gaiman novel because mm. that's how he writes. He writes just like that, obviously. Mm. But so, yeah, those are my, those are great scenes. Yeah. Cool. Well, Smurfs, what, what about you? Anything stand out that you loved? Yeah. I mean, my, by far my, my favorite scene is whether this is low hanging fruit or not, I don't care. It's the, it's the vivisectionist scene when Jack comes in <laughs> and gets his dog back. And uh, I just think, Oh, you know, yeah. so yeah. good. It is. Yeah. Michael and I were talking about the, the he brought up the use of onomatopoeia in that uh, scene. And I, I told him that it was probably the most powerful use of online play that I'd ever experienced yeah. because I felt like I could really hear it, even though we weren't supposed to hear it as humans. I feel like I really could get what that, bzzzt, yeah. you know, was so, anyway. It was just so good. Oh, yeah. Speaking of that part of the book, when, uh, when Sherlock was talking to snuff and snuff was mm-hmm. just sitting there acting <laughs> both like a dog and like a person. Right. right? <laughs> Because, you know, he was like asking him questions and he would look off to the side and he was like, I know you're in there. I know you understand. <laughs> so just nod your head. I mean, I, you don't have to say anything, but I know you're in there. I love that. Yeah, so good. That was cool. Yeah, yeah that is pretty great. Stan, how, how is the process, no, you know, the process, or how is, how is it reading it so many times now? Like, what, how is it different from for for than for me reading it for the first time? Um, yeah. Or what have you? I don't know. Just comment it, it, on that, please. Yeah, yeah. The re- repetitive re- reading is always a great idea, but it's it can be a it can be a slight curse with the blessing at times because a problem with my diligently going through the book every year like I need to is I start to remember spots you know because I've read it so many times I, I remember spots that are not my favorite and have a bad tendency of gloss over them. And the reason I think the reason I think that's a bad idea is, is the flip side of the curse, which is why it's a blessing to have read this so many times is because you got the bones in your head or I have the bones in my head and it allows me to delve deeper into, into some of the details, you know, that, that, that geeks like us, like, <laughs> like, like a lot. And, uh, so it gives, it gives you a little freedom because you have your head wrapped around the narrative and you know who's going to show up and you know how this plot hole is going to be tied up. You're able to really appreciate some of the nuances. And, you know, and I enjoy very much, Michael, we've talked about the the scenes of repose, the cozy domestic scenes with the sherry and the, those are neat. I get to embrace those. I read those every, word for word every time. I don't ever gloss over those. So, so that, that's, that. those are the two main things I would say. Um, Put you on notice that something might not uh, you might not really like it, and uh, so you gloss over it, which keeps you from delving further. And a lot of times, you you see things that you've never seen before, even no matter how many times you've read it. I used to listen to um, American Gods at least once a year for many many years. I would. I like that book. That used to be Hank's favorite yeah, too. I would, well, I listen to like the regular version, and then I would listen to the you know, dramatization of it, the, all the actors playing all the parts. And I would listen to uh, Catch-22 at least once a year because the reader was so good. Um, J.O. Sanders just made every page come to life, and it was just so it, – it's still so great. I got it on Audible. 
And it's still the funniest thing I've ever listened to. Um, so, but you hear things you, you like in this book, I'm sure when I read it again, I guarantee I'm going to like see things that I glossed over in, in this first reading because I didn't really, I mean, I didn't, I'm certain that I missed all kinds of stuff. Oh yeah. I'm sure you did. I'm sure, I'm sure everyone does. That's kind of the, the nature of it. I haven't read uh, catch 22 since high school. I loved that book. I'm glad to hear it stands like it stands up. I would recommend listening to it. It's so good. The performance is so good. Yeah, and I'll just tell you guys from from benefit of my whatever experience that this text is is rich enough that there you're going to pick up on things that you didn't pick up the first time around, and you'll continue to do so for for you know. I mean, I still find some things. Find some. By the way, I had an editing catch. I wanted to tell you. Michael, in this, I, I actually found uh, <clears throat> in the printed version a grammar error, um, which is so rare, you know, because it goes through so many different levels of editing. But Where? I think my, I, uh, I'm trying to find. I had it written down because I'm a a proud editor. Uh, sometimes, yeah, that happens more often than we'd think. Yeah, I know. It, you're right. It does. I just hadn't noticed it in this book. That was kind of my point. Is uh, do you remember what type of error it was? Yeah. Uh, left out one. I'll find it. I've got it highlighted in my notes here. Just uh, cool. I'm we'll, curious. We'll move on as we move on. I'll find it. How about that? Yeah. I want to ask Hirsch about the ending and a lack of a final scene of repose. That uh, what was your opinion on that, or did you want one or expect one? Or I, I was I I I was reading it on a, a digital, and so I was pushing the page return button for the next page. And it's like the pop up of like, you know, hey, rate this work on Goodreads and blah, blah, blah. All that. I was really like, and I did it twice. So I was like, wait, is it just ending right then? What did you think about that? Yeah, I actually expected it to end that way. Um, you know, <laughs> uh, the the last few lines, hi, hi, cat, I'll buy you that drink net yet. Hi, dog. I think I'll let you. I, and Jack and Jill went up the hill. I thought that was... Um, Poetically, I almost would have been disappointed if it if if he hadn't made a reference to Jack and Jill going up the hill. Yeah, right. Because you know, I was you're supposed to pick up on that uh, at the very beginning of the of the story, and I think that their his relationship with Jill um, sort of mirrored Snuff and and Greymock's. Uh, and, and, you know, Greymock falling down a well, fetch a pail of water, all that kind of stuff. You, you just, all those. All that, <laughs> didn't even, didn't pick up on that at all. <laughs> that makes perfect sense. All that. <laughs> and so I, I wasn't disappointed in the ending at all, because to me, this ending just says that they're going to be together in the next 18 to 19 years when the next <laughs> full moon happens. And, He's got that long to talk Jill into being a closer. I, I don't yeah. know what it takes to be a closer or opener. That was the one thing that I really wanted to learn from the book. They just didn't. You're supposed to just assume that these are the parts, these are the roles that they, that they play. They can change if they want, apparently, because you can talk people into doing one or the other. Um, mm-hmm. But uh, I, I wanted to know, like, what makes a person a, a closer and what makes a person an opener. Um, like, why are they just designated for that? Jill had an opportunity. Jill was like, eh, I can't. 
you know, can't really do that. Sorry. Mm-hmm. And then they were like, oh, well, nice knowing you. Yeah, I'm kind of glad they didn't go into, like, I guess the arguments for that because, like, it'd be hard to convince, you know, it's hard to, like, to have that side no, of the debate, I, I, you know, like. What I mean is I think that I think that they had to do what they did. Um, yeah, I know. I know. I wasn't saying yeah. anything contradicting that. Um, I'm just saying I also had that wonder, and I was happy that they yeah, didn't I mean, try I, to go I, through I, and, and on in that. But I, I was just curious, like, why are you an opener? Like, don't you know that it's going to destroy everything? Like, the vicar being an opener makes perfect sense. There's always that one zealot that is, you know, uh, uh, the the suicide bomber that just wants to burn everything down. There's always that guy. Um, so his motivation made perfect sense to me, but nobody else is really. I mean, certainly all the closers, their motivation was like, we just want to continue living, you know? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. yeah, even the count's like, yeah, things are good. Yeah, man. that's it. <laughs> <laughs> I dig this. Yes, I like the way things are, man. Yeah, yeah. and then, yeah, was, right. uh, Michael, we didn't talk about that uh, in the last one, but I, I thought that was awesome. I really did. <laughs> <laughs> you know, if you think about that, it's like, why wouldn't Count Dracula want things to stay as they are? I mean, yeah. he's immortal. And he was OP I mean, anyway. Like, if he had gotten involved early, he could have stopped the whole thing. He just did. Oh yeah, and and so yeah, yeah. at the very end, he's like, man. Uh, how can you think I wouldn't do this? Right. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so I'm the odd man out in that one. I did not pick up on the whole Jack and Jill thing until Stan pointed it out to me. Like I think in the first podcast mm-hmm. and two, I, while I do admit, I admire the closing uh, or the end of the book. I, I still wanted that one little half page. Of what did you it. want though? Like what, what I wanted a scene, I think at a uh, Jack's house or another type or maybe Jill's house. And I just wanted, I wanted a, I wanted another scene of repose or coziness. I wanted sherry. I wanted a cup of tea. Oh, I wanted a little saucer of milk. I wanted the dog. Again, I got my own in my head. My mine's fantastic, so I'm good. But uh, again, I was, I can't. I wanted it so badly. Like I said, I, I hit the button to turn the page twice. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, that must have been a mistake. It, it would have been nice again. to have Greymock <laughs> and and uh, and Snuff sort of sitting by the fire, you know. Yeah, and we get that in that line. We get to buy you the drink. Yes, I'll take it up on the blah, 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 after. So we, we get it. But, you, you know, I guess I wanted it. my I wanted my hand held for it. Yeah. You know. yeah, what what Michael what Michael was referring to, Matt, is that I share your opinion on that. I think I would have loved but I would have loved to have had the repose. But at the same time, it's such a badass, ballsy boss move. For Zelazny to do that, to end on that note, as it really should have. Yeah. <laughs> you know? I, mean, I just picture them skipping down the road like we (laughs) and i picture jill and graymock they're like yay we lost (laughs) (laughs) that's right (laughs) exactly they were so happy Uh, to lose like you know now that brings up an interesting point i don't know if you remember but at some point when uh i think it's snuff's going going down what's going to happen that day one of those uh data dumps we were talking about michael uh, one of the last p- sentences in a paragraph is bad things happen to the losers. So it's like, he's talking about the people involved, you know, just, what are the consequences of this if you lose? And he says, bad things do happen. So I don't know. Does that, how's that bode for uh, Jill and Graymalk? Yeah, I don't know. That's a great question. And also it has to, also he mentions about with the, um, one of the curses, the wriggling curses, like 
when they get out and they have to trap them again, they're disappointed because they were going to use that uh, as their, if they had to retreat. Like if they lost and had to retreat, they were going to use the curses as cover or to help them get away. Yeah. Um, so yeah, I wonder about that also. Hmm. I never even thought about that. I, I didn't think about there could be a cloud hanging over Grey Mock and Jill, you know, for a while. Yeah, exactly. Oh, they sure they didn't get sucked in, but is something bad going to happen to them eventually for choosing yeah. the old yeah, gods? Bad things, well, apparently, according to Snuff, it is. I mean, he himself says bad things happen to the losers. Yeah. I'm glad we didn't end on that note, though. <laughs> yeah. You know, like if it was, if it was like a uh, season two or three of stranger things, you would have had like this dark music hanging over. Like somebody would have like been smiling and then they would have frowned and then it would go into credits. If that would have happened, we would have been like, holy shit. Uh, Grandma mm. and Jill are in trouble. Like I'm really yeah. glad I didn't do that. No. Yeah. But it's still there. This, it, this sinister shit still in there. Yeah. That kind of bums me out a little bit. <laughs> do the well you know it just it just goes into this discussion it, it it goes to this discussion of whether this is a cyclical thing whether these players are recurring entities manifesting in different forms sure what are the bad things that happen to them? We just, you know just so much we don't know uh, yeah and happily because we can have these conversations absolutely. about it you know we don't it's, it's nice not to I know, think know i think jack and snuff have been around long enough to know what they would have to do to protect them and i think they're on their side I mean, they've been, I'll go with they've, that. They've been around long enough. I mean, obviously, they've been doing this for a very, very long time. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And I'm real, like I said it before, I'll say it again. I'm really curious to know who, what human being Snuff, who, who he was. Like, who was Snuff back in the, you know, it's like he lived in Mesopotamia or something. Like, he, he's. Yeah. Oh. If he was a human being or something else. Yeah. Yes. Interesting. So we all love the book. Are there any parts of the book of Stan if I talked about a couple of them and maybe not like is might be too strong, or but it could not be or annoyed or parts where you did start skimming. Matt, were there any sections where you're like, all right, I'm you know, I'm not loving this as much as I love this other part? I mean, not really. I mean it, thinking about it. It's such an easy read, right? It, it it goes by so quick, and and the parts that, um, from what I gathered as I was reading it, there there wasn't really anything superfluous in the book. Like everything meant something. It was leading up to to the last moment of the book. Everything led up to it, and there was everything was very specific. You know what I mean? Like he, he, every piece of imagery, there wasn't anything that there wasn't a blade of grass that didn't really have some role to play in the book. So that's absolutely right. And, and they didn't, he doesn't cheat either. No, it, like he doesn't, it, everything that comes out is set up. Yeah. There was no real, nice like, like, honestly, there wasn't really any, the only exposition in the book was the dream sequence. Right. I mean, that was just a, a, a sort of an expositional telling us that a, all of this is so old. Right. All of this goes back eons. That's what the dream sequence for me was was all about. 
So I don't think it was superfluous by any stretch of the imagination, but it was the only part of the book that, um, you know, wasn't specifically tied to necessarily the ending of the book. Now, oh, but it was, but it was. Now, when I, now, when I read it again and and go through the dream sequence again, I'm almost certain that, well, first of all, uh, the the yelling, uh, the, the dude yelling, I looked this up too because I had to, uh, hang on, I've got it written down. Which dude yelling? Like what? What do you? What do you? I don't remember what you're talking about. Yeah. So when the wind was blowing and they were being sucked into the rock. Uh, yeah. At the very end. Yeah. Okay. So somewhere a voice came chanting "Lasha Nigara." I had to look that up. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And Lovecraft. Yeah. So it's all is a Lovecraftian goddess, I think. Yeah. Okay. We 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 did talk about that. Yeah. yeah. So I had to yeah. look that up, and and you know that beginning sequence being sucked into the dream world. Um, yeah. So that's pretty specific. So I sort of want to take that back, but while they were actually in the, all the description in the dream world, I'd really need to, to sort of jump in there and see how it all applies to the rest of the book. Um, because it's got to, it, it can't be the only place in the book where it doesn't like reference the rest of the book. There's so many, well, that's where we get. That's where we get the prophecy of the grab the fetch the stick. You yeah, know? sure. Yeah, we meet. So we that's, meet, we so meet that's the cat deity. That's yeah. important. But th- that actually is that is the one section where I kind of zoned out a little bit. And we talked about it on one of the podcasts, maybe tonight. I can't remember. Of you know of, of you know a definite strong Lovecraft homage with his uh, parallel worlds and universes and descriptions. And actually, uh, Matt, you had said that it reminded you of. Um, Neil Gaiman in that section, and I, I again, I did not pick up that on the time, but now that I think about it, and again, I love Neil Gaiman's work. Um, I also zoned out in, uh, golly, what's the one he did that's uh, a riff on the Jungle Book, the Graveyard, Graveyard book. book, yeah, yeah. So when he's like going down into the layers of hell or whatever, it is very much like that kind of description. I kind of zoned out on that thing too. So that may not be my that may, that may not be Man, my the thing. Graveyard Book is very similar to this. It is. it is very similar with the, you know, the archetypal characters and American gods is all this, right? Like American gods, when you, when you go and look at it with the gods fighting the old gods and the new gods and the way that they're described and, and the, the ancient history of the old gods, man, it's, it's all this stuff. Smurfs, have you read that? What's that? American gods? Yeah. Uh, yeah, I, I don't know. If, yeah, I did read it, but it's been years and I only read it once. I didn't read it again. So, so Hank was into it and they have a, uh, we got them this, it's like this thick or whatever, but it's like, it is the annotated American God. So like every single reference in there yeah. is like told specifically like where it comes from, what religion, what part of the you know universe, whatever, yeah. that kind of thing. It's really so cool. Awesome. I bet so somebody's cool. done that with this too. I bet. Yeah. I have some, uh, yeah, that'd be cool. I have some annotated HP Lovecraft books that are just amazing. And, uh, I, uh, I would need to, would you mind, would you indulge me, Michael, if I correct myself about something I said yesterday, because I made a mistake. So, of course. Okay. So it's just, it's bugging me. So, and by the way, I found that editing, uh, catch. I've got it right here. I'll tell you that after this, but 
uh, we were discussing the, the dreamlands and the dream the dreamland sequence, and I was talking about their kind of two two general categories of of H.P. Lovecraft's work, and they generally fall into the Dunsinian dreamlands uh, cycle. And I misspoke. I miss. I misnamed the other cycle that it's commonly referred. I said it was the Dunwich cycle. It's not. It's the Arkham A R K H A M cycle, which is Arkham is the, you know the prominent city in the H.P. Lovecraft universe. But uh, so I wanted to correct myself on that. Sorry, 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 guys. Thank you for indulging me. But uh, we appreciate you uh, setting the record straight. Thank yeah. you. And yeah. hey, what was that uh, editing error thing you found? Okay, it's on, uh, on in my version of the book. It's on page two hundred thirty-seven, on uh, October the twenty-eighth. And Snuff's wondering uh, what will happen to the experiment man, uh, and he says something. I wonder what will become of of him. Now his home was destroyed. They forgot of that. Now that his home was destroyed. So, <laughs> you yeah, yeah. All right. All right. Yeah, well, it's just that's just the kind of this. The I, think that's a, I think that's a style thing. I think no, it works it's not. Out of that. No, it's not. Now his house now was it, destroyed. Now, now that his house was destroyed. Let me see. Where is it? Is it a? Uh, let's see. Uh, now his house is destroyed. I don't know. I wonder where that, that, sounded, that sounded okay to me. Is it? Uh, <laughs> <laughs> oh God! <laughs> I wonder what, are you really looking for? I would write stet if I got that note. I think <laughs> stet meant by the author is that what that one means? I forget. Yeah, like like yeah. Okay, you might be right, but I'm I'm leaving it. <laughs> right. I understand. I did say this. I hear that. I hear that. I yeah, hear that. I don't know. Um, Zelazny is pretty pretty. Uh, speaking of being specific, he's pretty specific in how he talks. I think I think he meant to lead. I, I think that's what he meant to say. No, 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 no. You're crazy. <laughs> yeah. Here's the sentence, guys. It's, it is, I wondered where the experiment man would go, comma, now his home was destroyed. That's yeah, that works for me. God, that God. works for me. You're <laughs> a lunatic. Yeah, I, <laughs> I thought I knew you guys. How did y'all's friendship end? Well, <laughs> we were doing a podcast <laughs> and we had an argument about <laughs> this grammar thing. Decades of friendship down the shitter. Exactly. Screw yeah. you guys. All right. Uh, <laughs> uh, how has the rest of y'all's October and Halloween been? Any other kind of uh, diving into the season things that you have done? <sighs> Excuse me. I just got back I, from I just got back from Savannah. I think I was there when we filmed the last one of the episodes and you were yeah, Savannah Georgia for doing uh, that. One one of the many world's most haunted cities. Yes. So there's a rich haunted history there. So just just being there was extraordinarily autumnal and Halloweenish and just really got Southern Gothic and all the good stuff. Remind me of Yeah, the, that's me that's fun. Yeah. Hirsch, how about you? Did you carve a jack o' lantern or anything? Or no, man. any haunted houses? No, man. Well, I'm glad you read this. Then you need. Yeah, it. I needed. I needed the to get into the spirit of things. Exactly. I did not hit a haunted house, and I and I won't have time. I did have a pumpkin, but didn't carve a jack o' lantern. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I needed. I needed this also pretty badly. But I like having my birthday in October. It's the best time to have it, as far as I'm concerned. Uh, I hope my son agrees. He he was the 28th. Uh, well, I mean, so he look I, every year. It, Homecoming used to be on my birthday, so oh, that's yeah, fun. So we always let's throw a dance for Matt Hirsch. Yeah, right. Oh, 
Homecoming. <laughs> homecoming, aka Hersh's birthday party. George's homecoming. Yeah. It was. Oh, George homecoming. George's yeah. homecoming was always on my birthday. We would always be in Athens, you know, celebrating my birthday. Oh, that's cool. All right, we'll throw they a parade did. for me. Yeah, they did absolutely in a football game. <laughs> absolutely. Oh, very cool. Uh, any other Halloween recommendations? Any other books you want to tell like the audience of something they should check out? Uh, Merritt, I feel like I've given you something you're going to love with The Cabin in the Woods. Mm-hmm. Uh, you've obviously given me and us this, uh, but, you know, we're greedy. Is there anything else? Any other? I mean, we know we love Lovecraft. We know we love Broadberry. Yeah. Um, but if you have anything else, Matt, same to you. Uh, any other thing you love? this I, Halloween know, kind of thing. I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to let you get off that easy by talking about Bradbury because I do want to mention one of his books that I, and I do, I read it as a child. I read the Halloween tree as a child and it was so remarkably powerful and such a wonderful book when I was a kid. And I just, it, you know, it's just, it, it needs to be read by kids. It's a great, it's a great book. And it's, uh, I've recommended it to kids who have been blown away by it. Even, you know, Smarmy little ones have been like, yeah, right. I'm sure this would be great. And then they come back and say, God, that was really good. So I, don't, I just want to endorse uh, all Bradbury stuff, of course. But the Halloween tree for the youth out there. Speaking of Bradbury, say- do you guys remember? Th- this has stuck with me. It's been imprinted on my brain ever since we were kids. And I, you know, with, with y'all's memory, uh, especially, you know, I, I know that Sam will remember this. I don't know about you, Michael. Maybe. But do you guys, I don't know about me. Do you either. guys remember the Velt by Bradbury? The Velt, yeah, I remember the Velt, yeah, yeah. I don't. Think do you I remember do. who told us to read that for the first time? Was it Kazali? Yeah, it was Kazali. Uh, yeah, it was. It was her. It was Kazali. I wanted to say that was when we were younger than that. I wanted to say that we read it in like Tomlin's class, right? Or something, but right. Yeah, so yeah. I don't remember anything about Tomlin's class, and uh, like not even. I barely remember. Like the only thing I remember about her is her hair. So the, um, but the Velt is my favorite all time Bradbury story. And, um, I don't know why. I think it was because I was so affected by, by the, the, the lions eating the kids' parents. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And the, the imagery and the, 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 the visuals that I got from that story. Uh, yeah, has stuck with me ever since. And and I looked it up and I read it. I reread it again uh, last year. And just to, um, you know, and it's so short. It's so, so short. Yeah. And I thought mm-hmm. like all this time, because I hadn't read it since we read it then, really. I thought it was like this big book that we read mm-hmm. because it was so. No, <laughs> no. it's like only a few pages. Like, oh yeah, Bradbury's master of the short story, man. I mean, it's barely even a few pages, and it's so it's really, really powerful. The Velt is really, really powerful, and and yeah. the the fact that um, certainly he that story and the rest of his work influenced you know all kinds of stuff. Like that in and of itself was a dream world um, mm-hmm. that they that the kids made up. It just happened to yeah. You know, they just happen yeah. to have the power, the the Twilight Zone power of making it real and shoving their parents into it. It's just, it's just stuck with me ever since. Yeah. Great story. Great story. Uh, That's cool. There is a scary I did not read that books uh, 
that if you haven't read them, you should. Um, it is the John Dies at the End series. I've heard you mention these on Facebook or something before, and I have not read these. Tell me about them again. Well, there's an author. Uh, his name is Jason Pargan, and he wrote this series of books called John Dies at the End. And he also wrote a series of books uh, that starts with um, a book called Futuristic Violence and Fancy Suits, um, which is about a little girl named Zoe Ash. And his writing is just really, really off the wall and um, crazy. Uh, it's hard to explain because his imagery and um, dialogue is so uh, nuts. But if you want to have a really, really good time, start those books. All right. Good recommendations. I and the third it. book, uh, fourth book in the Zoe series is coming out um, tomorrow. Matter of fact, I'm getting it tomorrow. Outstanding. Uh, guys, anything else we want to say about this? I am so uh, thrilled y'all could join and we could do this wrap up. Matt, thank you especially for hopping in yes. here at the end. Merritt, thanks for the whole idea and for being willing to do it. But are we leaving anything out that we should mention? Yeah, I, I do want to extend a, a tremendous thanks to you for letting me for, for doing this with me. I mean, for letting me let me into your into your uh, shell there, and it's been a whole lot of fun. And thanks a lot, man. Yeah, it is my pleasure. I've loved it. Yeah. yeah, and and you know, there's a bunch of books out there we can do this with. Ah, no shit. There we go. Outstanding. Uh, ladies and gentlemen, thank you so much for joining us for the Origin Story podcast. Uh, next month, we're introduced to a new piece of art and a band called Hiss Golden Messenger by a previous guest on the podcast, uh, Will Haraway of the Sundogs and the Haraway Brothers. Uh, I'm excited. It's working out well. We were supposed to. He was supposed to be the first guest on this new formatted podcast, but we couldn't make it happen. And as coincidence would have it, Hiss Golden Messenger will be in Atlanta next month and the sun dogs have a gig as well. So I will get to see them both live and uh, you'll hear much more about that in the upcoming weeks. Uh, gentlemen, thank you so much for doing it. Uh, thank you so much for listening. And uh, until we meet again, Dana Dagohoi. See you boys.